0: Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee, in the boat with the higher servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.: Good afternoon. Our church has been going through the gospel, according to Mark. and last week we heard that Jesus spoke his first words and proclaimed his central message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand to so repent and believe in the gospel. So now that Jesus' message is out, now what? What is Jesus' next move? How will this happen? What will be Jesus's? Method, his strategy to usher in the kingdom of God. As Jenny read for us, we'll see that Jesus' priority, his priority is to call disciples to himself. So when we ask and answer two questions today, two how questions, and the first question is this, how does Jesus call his disciples? How does Jesus go about calling his disciples. And we'll see first that Jesus calls his disciples with authority. Let's read verse 16 and 17 again. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus, he sees the the disciples first. He's the one who goes searching for them. The disciples aren't looking for Jesus. Jesus goes to them. And then Jesus does something really unusual. He calls to them. See, the call to follow me in that time and in, in Scripture, in the Bible, that was very rare. That just didn't happen. It was an uncommon thing to say. Even the concept and notion of following God throughout Scripture in the Old Testament was was rare. It really wasn't talked about that way. People kind of went to a place in a certain time, in a certain way, to worship God, to trust God, but to follow God? To be in close kind of communion with God? To start like becoming like that was not really a commonly accepted or even just an, just an idea. No one really thought like that. And it was really unusual for anybody, a person, to say, "Follow me." It was very unusual for a rabbi, a teacher, to directly invite a student to follow him, because you see. The norm was the students, they sought out the rabbi. The students would go find a rabbi that they respected and liked and say, hey, I'm going to follow you. I choose you. And so let me follow you. And um, they didn't even say follow you, in fact, because, again, that wasn't really a concept. It was more like, why don't you teach me the Torah so that I can learn more about God? Because I respect the way you teach Torah. And so that was a common interaction. And so it was very unusual for a rabbi to directly invite a student to follow him. It basically didn't happen. In the whole Bible, in all of Scripture, there was only one other instance in the Bible of someone inviting another to follow them, and that was the prophet Elijah to Elisha. That was the only other time that it happened. That's how rare and unusual that was. If you recall, even the Apostle Paul, he wouldn't even claim this directly. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't just say, follow me. That was just too much for him to say. So you see, Jesus' use of that phrase, follow me, is really full of an unusual kind of authority that no one else dared even wield. Also, continuing on that that sentence that he says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Jesus' use of that phrase, I will make you become fishers of men, is also a proof, a proof of his divine and his prophetic authority. It might seem like what Jesus is doing here is he's going to a bunch of fishermen and he goes, ah, I'm going to speak to these fishermen in a way, in the lingo that they're used to. So I'm going to use a fishing imagery and metaphor so that, aha, you see what I did there? I make you fishers of men because you're fishermen. I'm going to, ah. But that's not exactly what's going on here. Kind of, a little bit. There is some kind of contextualization. But actually, Jesus, he did not invent that imagery of fishers of men. It's not just a clever play on words. Like, we'll find out as we study the Gospel of Mark, like many, many of his sayings, they were not necessarily so original. Jesus was quoting Scripture. Jesus was directly quoting and referencing the prophets. Look what the prophet Jeremiah says. This is God speaking through his prophet Jeremiah, and this is what God says. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, fishermen, declares the Lord and they shall catch them which is the exiled nation of Israel. So hundreds of years before Jesus's earthly ministry what's happening is the nation of Israel is exiled because of their sinfulness. They're scattered all across and God is promising through his prophets one day I'm going to bring my people back. Because I'm still committed to my people. My covenantal love cannot be broken. It is so steadfast. My mercy endures forever. I'm going to gather my people back to myself that they may repent and believe, be part of, and belong back to me. He said, I'm going to send out my fishermen. I'm going to send out my messengers. I'm going to send, he even uses this hunting imagery. I'm going to literally kind of hunt and pursue and chase them down. I'm going to chase them down. So you see, God himself is the one who is sending for the fishermen to catch his people, to catch back the nation of Israel so that they what? Would repent and believe in him once more. The sending out of fishermen to catch men for the judgment and forgiveness of sins is therefore something only God could do. You may recall, if you're familiar with Scripture, there are times in Jesus' teaching and ministry, for example, he says to a layman, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they object. They say, you can't say that. Only God can do that. You can't just say that. You can't say such things. That's blasphemous. If Pharisees were around on the seashore that day, they probably may have said something similar. You can't say that. You can't say, follow me. Who dare say, follow me? Who would be so presumptuous to say, follow me? How could you say that? No one says that. How could you be quoting Jeremiah and saying, I'll make you become fishers of men? Only God says that. Only God can send out his fishermen for his judgment. That's blasphemy. They just weren't around that day. So you see, by saying, follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men by using that imagery. Jesus is not so subtly saying that he has the same authority as God because he himself is God. In other words, follow me is more than just a nice invitation Follow me is a command from the king of heaven to be obeyed. Jesus says, follow me with the full prophetic and the divine authority that only God has. This is different from any human teacher or rabbi or prophet that came before. So how does Jesus go about calling his disciples? he calls him with his authority it is a command from the king how else does it go about calling his disciples we see that jesus's call to discipleship comes with a promise comes with a promise he says follow me and i will make you become do you see that i will make you become that is a promise I'll kind of put it like this. Uh, You may have heard, and um, whether it's in the church setting, usually in the church setting, something like, come as you are. It's like, hey, you know what? Come as you are. And that's a gracious invitation and message, isn't it? Isn't that so comforting? That's so relieving. And we need that. We need that. That come as you are kind of invitation and message it's full of grace, and it invites us to engage one another without being harshly judgmental. It shows that actually, it communicates that even if we, even if we try, we don't have to or we can't kind of prove ourselves before our God for salvation, for acceptance. But Jesus' call to his disciples is something more than that. It's not exactly come as you are, is it? Follow me. In other words, a call to discipleship, it will be more accurate, a little bit more complete for us to say, come as you are, kind of. That that, that makes sense in a church community. But when it's coming to following Jesus, I think it's a little more accurate and honest to say and put it as we see in the Gospels laid out. Actually, Jesus meets us in our sinfulness. He's not asking themselves to come to him. He goes to the disciples. You see that? They're not looking for him. He went looking for them. Jesus meets us in our sinfulness. And then he calls us out of darkness. This Simon and his brother Andrew that we see, who are called Simon, a.k.a. Peter, he later writes a letter that's in our scripture in the New Testament, in the 1 Peter. And this same Simon, he understood this well because he writes this. Jesus, he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light that we may now proclaim forth his excellencies. We are a called and sanctified and holy people that belong to him and his kingdom now. And we are no longer living in darkness. The good news of Jesus Christ doesn't end at come as you are. As gracious and as good as that is. It's more than that. It's, I'm going to meet you where you are because you can't help it anyway. And you follow me. I will make you become something new. I will meet you where you are. And guess what? You won't remain as you are. You'll be something new. I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become someone whose priorities and purpose and values and perspective is completely changed and different than what it was before. You will not be the same. That's the gospel and good news. It's not just come as we are. It's I'm going to find you where you're at. I'm going to follow me and I will make you become something new. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That we are changed. We don't remain as we are. We're set free from living in the same old simple ways of the world. We're freed from living aimlessly for ourselves. That we may now proclaim forth his excellencies. Now it is true. It is true. There's another apostle that writes later in Ephesians. It is true that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. Amen. And this is not our own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But I think this is key as well. There's more to that. For we are God's workmanship. You see that connection? For I will make you become, God is working on us. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The good news is the good news, not because we can just feel accepted and continue living our lives just the way we want. As if God is now just giving us permission to do what we want. Now we're just the king of our own kingdoms and we could just do what we want and we just have God's blessing. That's not the good news of the kingdom of God. We are saved from sin and certain death by the grace and the power of God. And Jesus says, I will make you become. We are his workmanship being created and molded and changed into something new. As a kingdom citizen created in Christ Jesus, that we should walk in them. jesus call it comes with that promise and what i'll make you become what fishers of men like we saw in jeremiah these fishers of men really refers to these messengers that go out and rescue other people from the judgment of god from the death of sin for god's kingdom remember Jesus' central message is this the time is fulfilled the kingdom is at hand repent and believe in the gospel so the fishes of men are supposed to go catch other people that those people may also repent and believe in jesus and now belong to jesus and so you see being a disciple of jesus involves making disciples of jesus but i actually want to pause there and not go further because Yes, we're going to see that. We're going to see how the disciples grow into that role. They don't know that yet. Okay? This is their first initial call. They're not sure what that really fully means yet. But what we do have is a focus on Jesus' ability and his authority, that he is making that call, and his, that's his promise. I will make you become fishers of men. In other words, even in our efforts to disciple one another, whether it's one our families, our neighbors, one another in our church. Or even evangelize and spread the good news of Christ in our communities and neighborhoods or workplaces. It is not ultimately up to us to catch those men. It is still on the authority of Jesus who sends out his fishermen. It is still on the authority and the ability and the power of Jesus because it is Jesus who will make you become it's not on us. No matter how much we care, no matter how much we sweat and bleed and pray, we're not the ones to change one another. Amen? We're not. No matter how much we care, we can't. We're not the ones to do that. Instead, we rest and trust in this promise that Jesus declares by his authority, our King of heaven, who came to condescended and came down to us to be with us, that he is faithful and able to make you become his disciples, his followers, that that change of heart that we so long in ourselves and in others that we're even desperate for, Jesus has the authority and the ability to do that. So to recap so far in Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus is sent from heaven. He goes into the wilderness on this rescue mission. And he starts ushering in the kingdom of God, inviting all to repent and believe. And Jesus' method is to catch men, catch people, and make them into disciples who would then go catch others. And for the rest of the gospel account of Mark, Jesus is accompanied by these disciples. who will gather more later. And you know what? They're going to often fail and disappoint him. But even then, their role is crucial to the achievement of his mission. Because it's through this flawed and vulnerable and just human group of people that somehow God's kingship will be established. And this is how God works again and again and again through scripture he'll choose normal everyday people sometimes extra flawed for whatever reason so that his grace may abound and that it is even more evident that it is only by God's authority and his power and grace that salvation and anything good will come out and it's not up to us that no one may boast And when we look at this group of disciples through the Gospel of Mark, it's written so that we ourselves today can expect to find the basis for our own discipleship. In other words, it's kind of like this. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know that there's, there's some of us who run marathons or just like to compete in such things, I determined over time that uh, if that's you, you and I, we're a different category of human being, okay? That's not what I like to do. (laughs) Just uh, two days ago, um, uh, as part of Army training, we have this annual physical fitness test. Part of that is running two miles. Not a huge long distance, but we have to run it for time. Me, I'm not, a hu- I'm not much of a runner. I'll run when I need to. Otherwise, I'll conserve my energy, rightly so, for other matters. <laughs> and then, so here I am. We're running this two miles. I'm not fast. I'm not slow. Just right in the middle. Just kind of plod along. And the strategy is this. I know for sure there's guys who are faster than me, right, in our group. There's probably 40, 50 of us taking this test. There's guys who are a little faster than me. And so the strategy is, like we're not really kind of keeping time, and so there's no real way to gauge that. So my strategy is I'm gonna find that guy who's a little bit faster than me, and I'm gonna chase after him. Does it make sense? That's my strategy. It's as long as I kind of keep him in my sights, I know I can't beat him, you know. But I can at least chase after and keep him in my sights. I'm chasing after him. Now, in our group, true story, there two guys. They run marathons. All right, they run marathons. That's what they do. You know, what is your hobby? I run till I die. I mean, it's just like, that's, what they, that's how they roll. I don't know. Again, if that's you, great. God bless you, right? But for me, different category of human. I'm the guy on the sidelines in the A station giving out cups of water, you know, so you could just run by. Um, but that, that, that's me. So there's two people who run marathons. And, of course, two miles for them is like, you know... You know, they just kind of woke up and like rolled over and like ran two miles. You know, it's like for them, it's nothing. So it would not be smart of me to use those two guys as my as like trying to chase them. Does it make sense? It's unattainable. All right, we're a different category of human being. It's not going to happen. In fact, we had to run several laps around this one course to complete uh, the mileage. And as I was running, I thought I was doing okay. And then the first guy, one of the marathon runners, zoop, he lapsed me. I'm like, oh, not the best feeling. But I was like, hey, man, go you, man. Like, keep going. Great. A few minutes later, he lapsed me twice. <laughs> and I was, I was like, oh, my gosh. Am I? What time is it? And by the time I had my one final last lap left, he was already on the side finished stretching it out and drinking water. I was like, so it would not do me any good to chase that guy, right? Unattainable, even in my best day. It's not going to happen. I think this is how Jesus calls disciples. Hear me out. These disciples that Jesus calls are pretty every, everyday average kind of people. They were not these superhuman guys who lap you twice and don't break a sweat. Because if that was the case, and some people like that, there's, I'm not bashing on people who can do that, right? But if it was just that, if it was just the best of the best, cream of the crop, elite kind of people, my goodness, I don't know about you, but I would just be discouraged. It's like that's not the person I'm like trying to chase after. That's like unattainable. But Jesus, He calls all kinds of people, people that we can relate with, that we can kind of keep in our sights and chase after, and be like, you know what? If that guy can do it. I'm right there with you. I I can do this too. So for the rest of the gospel account, we see just these real guys just living real lives with real struggles. And praise God for his wisdom that he could could have come down on a cloud, floated in front of everyone with 10,000 angels behind him and say, like, my kingdom is here. Everyone repent and believe now. And then there's like scary roaring lions with wings flying all around. It would have been nuts. But he doesn't. His method is he chose everyday average people like you and me. That we will now become his agents, his kingdom workers. So that we will not be those guys who laugh people twice. And it's like, that's not even possible. But we can kind of chase each other. A little more attainable. And I think that's just God's wisdom and grace. So, how do we, how do disciples then respond to Jesus' call? The way he calls him is he has full authority and he gives a promise. He is faithful to make us and call us into disciples of Christ, into these kingdom workers. How do we then, how can we respond to this call? We'll see by the response instruction for us. The first thing that we notice is this they obeyed Jesus right away, all the way, in a happy way, right? They right away all the way. In verse 18 through 20, this is what it says, and immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The disciples display an immediate and full obedience. This is the appropriate response to Jesus' call to follow him. Though our circumstances will differ, even in in this room right now, our circumstances are all different. Jesus' call to discipleship is total. It is all-encompassing and requires sacrifice. Maybe the disciples were not exactly sure what they got themselves into. I don't know if you could relate to that. When I started following Christ, I didn't know all that it would entail from the the get-go. I started to find out along the way. And so did these disciples. But it became more and more clear to them who and what they were really following. Later in the same Gospel of Mark, a few chapters later, chapter 8... Jesus, he gathers his disciples and he asks them, who do you say that I am? Who do you really think you're following here? And Peter, Simon Peter, Simon that we just learned about, the fisherman, he answered him, well, you're the Christ. And so Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and after three days rise again. So what he's saying is like, yeah. Who do you think you're following? The Christ? Yes. And you know what? If you're following me, there's suffering and rejection and death and resurrection. That's the path. That's the roadway. And he said this plainly. And Peter, the same Simon Peter, the fisherman, he took him aside and said, he rebuked Jesus. He said, Jesus, you can't say that. We're just starting a movement here. Like, you're going to turn people away. We just fed thousands of people. They like you kind of, but like, you can't say that. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus corrects Peter, rebukes him, get behind me, Satan. Do you remember we covered as a church a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan? It's like, you're thinking like that. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Your interpretation of this gospel or this kingdom is off. And it says right here in verse 34 and 35, Mark 8, and this is, what it will really take to follow Jesus, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Jesus said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is the call and the cost of following Jesus. And Jesus makes that clear. I want to clarify. Is this a call, then, to abandon our families of origin? To quit our jobs right now? Because isn't that what Simon Andrew James John and did? Not exactly. This is not really the thrust of what Jesus is saying. All Jesus says is, follow me And I'll make you become fishers of men. These four disciples, that was their response because they had a unique and particular calling of following him full time, becoming the apostles and the leaders of the first early church. For some of us, now we have to kind of interpret this in a way that, for our lives, we may not have the same specific calling as those disciples, and yet the calling is the same to follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And from the disciples' example, we see that following Jesus requires a full and total and immediate obedience and trust. And by the way, we do see the Scripture that Simon, he's married. He doesn't leave his wife. In fact, Jesus, he visits his house. He heals the mother-in-law. James and John, they interact with their mother, and the mother's like, hey, can you do me a favor? Like, there's a whole interaction that goes on. They go on these boats all the time. How do you get into boats? You can't just steal a boat. You can't just take a car in the middle of the street and say, we're just going to go for a drive. You have to own a boat. So probably James and John, being small business owners, and their dad say, hey, my dad has a fishing fleet. Let's just get in my dad's boat, number 12. He left the keys, and um, we can go in the water now. They probably kept it around. Does it make sense? So it wasn't a literal, complete, like, social isolation. It's like we're just never going to talk to our families or have anything to do with our jobs again. That wasn't the message. But in that instance, we see through the disciples' obedience that the call to follow Jesus is and requires our obedience and total trust. In other words, following Jesus requires all of our lives and I I hope this might kind of be helpful Um, and I I think I know what uh, uh, um, we mean when we say something like this and I'll say something like this too we'll say something like you know my priorities in life is God number one and then my family and then work or you know something or another right we'll say God's number one I'm going to propose this to you just kind of as as a thought kind of as a thought experiment if you will the way I understand and practice in real life my priorities is the reality of priorities is they shift according to need, urgency, and season. Okay? I can say family's always number one, always. I don't know, because work sometimes will take me away. And sometimes your family will need a sacrifice and you don't get that time together. So can it literally, always, ultimately, absolutely, 100% be number one? No, not really, not literally. So how it actually plays out is they'll shift around. What's number one might be number three, you know, next week. And what number two might be shift to number one. Does it make sense? That, that's kind of how I understand and practice priorities. That's the way I understand it. So if I think of Jesus and following Jesus as a priority... It kind of shifts around because I just kind of put a time to it. Oh, at this time, in this place, in this specific way, I'm going to kind of devote my attention, maybe by reading the Word or by attending this and that. It's something more than that. Does it make sense? It's not quite a priority. I don't think that's the most kind of encompassing way to look at it. It's more like Jesus, this call to follow Jesus, is a center of gravity. It's like in our solar system, like the sun. It's a center of gravity. Where everything revolves around it. It's irrelevant to call it priority number one. It's not even doesn't even, can't even think like that. It's a center of gravity, it's a source of life. Whereas through it we're enlightened by it, we get life through it. <laughs> Literally, we stay in orbit and alive. All of our seasons, everything kind of makes sense through this very center. And so I think that's kind of a little bit of a picture of what Jesus and following Jesus is like. He's the very center, the center of gravity that holds all things together. How might we practically do that? Take that next step of faith, whatever that next step of faith might be. For some of us, that, that may be a, a first step of faith. I wonder what that next step of faith for you is, just like, you know, Lord Jesus just like these disciples, their step of faith was leaving everything behind immediately following after you. And they had a total obedience and trust in you. How can I have a total obedience and trust in you right now in my life? Have I just been given partial? Have I just kind of treated Jesus as, at least the way I understand it, some kind of priority where it's, he's, no, he's not, right, not right now. He's like kind of like number one. Jesus, how can I make you like the, the very center? Because I've lost sight of that. What is that next step of faith for you? Next week, April 30th, not in this building, in another building, we'll have a baptism service. We'll be able to witness several brothers in our church being baptized. That's one way they're taking a next step of faith in declaring, I now identify and publicly in front of our church, I belong body and soul to Jesus I am now part of this kingdom. I have repented and believed. I now identify with with Jesus as he has identified with me through his grace. I am saved, and now I am part of his body, right? And we get to witness that together. That's a step of faith. If you're already a follower, you can trust that Jesus is the one who is making you become his disciples even now. Even now. It's not done yet. Maybe in order to determine what that next step is, we might need to re-evaluate and correct course. We might need to just re-evaluate and correct course. This is possible to do even if you've already been walking with the Lord and been a Christian for a long time. I know I've had to do that several times in major ways. I could point to certain instances in my life It's like, wait a minute. I think I've been kind of doing my duties and kind of trying to serve God in in a certain way, but I think my center of gravity, if you will, has been all screwed up. I've been more motivated by something else other than Jesus as Lord. So being a disciple of Jesus is a total surrender and abandon to God's will and kingdom ways. In other other words, your life, you will look different. You will look different. I know in my life, I grew up in the church all my life, ever since I was born. And for some people, I kind of had it full because I, I was churched enough where I could do churchy things. You tracking? I could do churchy things, and for some people, I got high praise. Wow, what a good boy in church. Pat, pat. Keep, keep being a good boy. You don't need to change. You're just a good boy. You're a good boy already. I had people fooled. But sometime later, it was sometime later when I actually started to, where I actually really repented and believed, and I actually started to follow Jesus, that I, by God's grace, my demeanor, my priorities, my character, everything started to change and look a little bit, a little bit more like Jesus and his kingdom ways. And I remember that. I can't pinpoint exactly how, on. there's no real formula to it. But I remember my own family members, my youth group teachers who saw me grow up, and even some friends. they were like, "What happened to you? You're kind of different." It's like, "Do you actually love Jesus now?" Like, I know you attend church, but like, I think you love Jesus now. <laughs> like, I don't know about before, but like, you love Jesus now, and there was a difference. So maybe we need to reevaluate and correct course. It's not just about more church activity. Per se. They're not exactly the same thing. And that might entail, as you look more and more different, as we live lives a little different, it might lead to unpopularity. It might lead to sharing in Jesus' suffering. I'll end with this Jesus has graciously given us one another in this followership. You see, how do we disciples respond to Jesus' call? Not only do we obey, but we follow Jesus together. You see this? I'm so glad that we have this first example that was these two sets of brothers. It says they left their nets and followed Jesus. Jesus called them. It wasn't just this one superstar person. He called community of followers together. Jesus' first method and priority in ushering in his kingdom was a form of fellowship of believers. We are not just individual followers of Jesus with personal relationships with him. It's more than that. That is true, but that's only part of the story. We're a community, a body, a fellowship of believers who hear the call of Jesus and respond in faith together. And so let's continue to find that encouragement, the edification within the kingdom community the church I'll leave us with this here's kind of culminates into this main idea this thought knowing this that this is his method and his priority we can trust Jesus trust Jesus to make you become his disciples you can trust him for that even now Jesus looks for those who have faith to follow him And the remarkable method that we see here is that somehow us following Jesus is not just up to your initiative or strength. Instead, this followership of Jesus is initiated by our King Jesus' command. And he is faithful to form us and change us and save us and shape us, redirect us into his kingdom workers and his ways in fellowship with other believers. So trust Jesus to make you become his disciples. Jesus says to you, Follow me. Will you follow Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us, people like us, even now, all kinds of people that no sin was too dirty or too great for your grace to overcome, for you to forgive. Thank you, O God, that uh, somehow you see this potential in us, that you are forming and that you are empowering, that we may follow you, not by our own strength, but by your grace, by your spirit. So, Lord, knit us together as a community of believers Help us that we may help one another and encourage and inspire one another as we consistently point one another to you, to follow you. And we trust you, O Lord, that you are making us to become yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.